listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message by Pastor Andy Squires. Praise the Lord. Well, the fact is, I would not be as amazing as I am without my little mother. She raised me, took care of me, prayed, prayed for me all the days of my life. She's still praying for me. I called her this week, and uh, she gave me a prophetic word, and she told me she'd been praying for me all week. I never... I never have to ask my mom to pray for me. She's just always praying for me. So thank you, Lord, for my mom. Is everybody doing well? All right, good. It's kind of dreary weather out there. But, you know, we don't have to let our circumstances dictate to us how we feel, right? All right. So here's a, here's a um, thing. We've got extra flowers up here. We're going to have the ushers grab these. And afterwards, if you want a flower, grab a flower or two. Is that correct? Yeah, we got extra flowers. If your mom's not here today, maybe grab her one and give it to her. So, all right, everyone, we are in the book of Ephesians still. Thank God this is an amazing book. You could spend years of your life studying this and it could change you. But before we dive in, why don't we pray together? I was noticing during worship, um, you know, sometimes, uh, how, how do I say this? Uh, <clears throat> well, I, I've, I've led worship for many years, and sometimes I feel stronger than other times. And sometimes I have to, I have to lead from a place of weakness and, and that's not easy to do, but sometimes I really love like gentle and, and sweet worship where it feels like, I don't know, it just, it feels like there's a palpable weakness about our, our singing together. And I was really feeling that this morning. And I, I was, I was noticing it because it's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. I'm going to be talking about weakness this morning and and so um, one of the things that I have noticed about myself is that I have a natural aversion to weakness, meaning when I'm witnessing it, I automatically start thinking about how to fix things. I automatically start thinking, how do I make things feel stronger or better? But what I'm noticing is that the invitation of the spirit to us is to witness weakness and to not look away. Is to witness weakness and actually press into it and embrace it and celebrate it. So the Lord was leading us into that this morning. And you may have not known it, but it's going to directly tie to the word that's coming forth this morning. So why don't we take a minute and just submit our hearts and minds to the Father, Lord, Thank you so much for your presence that's here this morning. Thank you for this family that has gathered here. Thank you for the mothers, the fathers, the children, the single, 
Father, we thank you for all of your family that is represented here today. And we ask you now for a blessing to rest upon us as we receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the the title of my message today is Ephesians, the gift of weakness. So, okay, so here's the thing. I'm going to start in the book of Acts. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along, you can open your book, uh, your Bible to Acts chapter 20, but you don't have to follow along with me if you don't want to, because I'll lead you. Okay, so in Acts chapter 20, we find the apostle Paul gathering some folks from the church of Ephesus so that he can speak to them one last time, all right? Paul has made up his mind that he's going to go to Jerusalem and then he's eventually going to end up in Rome and his his goal is to preach the gospel. What, What ends up happening to him is that he gets arrested by the Jews. The Jews put him in chains and they send him to Rome, okay? So he's on his way, um on one of his missionary journeys in Acts chapter 20. And he stops by this port and he sends a messenger to go grab the elders from the city of Ephesus to just walk down a ways to meet him at this little port that he's at. So his relationship with the Ephesians was extremely intimate. He loved those people and they loved him. And we can see it in this passage in Acts chapter 20. So Acts 20 records Paul saying this. And see, I go bound in my spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me there. How is that for a prophetic word? Would you like to get that prophetic word? The Lord came to you and said, hey, here's the thing that I'm speaking over your life. Everywhere that you go, chains are waiting for you. Paul's explicitly saying that the Lord has given him this revelation. Here is what's coming for you, buddy. Lots of trouble. But he says he was bound in his spirit to go to Jerusalem, even though he knew this trouble was coming. Okay, that is Paul looking into the face of weakness and not trying to circumvent it, but walking straight into it. He wasn't trying to manage his way out of this prophetic word that chains and tribulations were coming his way. But he was looking it in the face and he was delighting in it. But Paul continues his goodbye with these Ephesians. And he says this. And indeed now I know that you all among whom I have preached the kingdom of God will see my face no more. And then he goes on to give them instructions to encourage them. And at the end of this passage, we get an intimate look at how much love there is between Paul and the church at Ephesus. I love this. It says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. I mean, that is such a beautiful picture of the love that shared 
in, within the body of Christ. Paul was saying to them, you guys aren't going to see me anymore. And their only reaction is to just fall all over his neck and kiss him, weep on him and kiss him. Have you ever had anybody like weep on top of you and kiss you all over? There's something about that that will mark you. I bet you Paul was radically marked by this show of affection. Even apostles need to be affirmed. Even apostles need to be cried over. They need to be told how much they're loved. Amen. We all need that, don't we? My friend Adam, he always says, eulogies are for the living. We need to be telling each other how much we affirm and love each other, don't we? So here, here's this little scene where there's this manifested weakness, all right? Paul wrote the book of Ephesians from a prison cell in Rome, okay? I don't know if you knew that, but there are four books in the New Testament that Paul wrote while he was in chains in prison, and the book of Ephesians is one of those books. You could say that he wrote some of his greatest revelations while he was in chains, He had been subdued. He was unjustly imprisoned. The Jews had delivered him to the Romans because of his gospel preaching. So here's the thing. While we're reading this, it's very easy for us to read the story of Paul and not feel the intensity of the pressure that he was under. The world he was walking through was very similar to the world that we live in now. There was great political and social upheaval. There were massive shifts taking place within culture and within the church. And Paul was challenging the status quo in almost every arena of life. And because of that, he was enduring massive pressure on his mind, on his heart, and on his body. All right? At some point in Paul's life, he found himself at a total loss. All right. I know that's something that we've all felt before. You know, that feeling where you get to a place in your life where the weakness that you feel, I mean, there are degrees of weakness, isn't there? There's, there's somebody cutting you off in traffic, right? That's one thing, but, but being put in prison, that's a whole nother thing, right? There's degrees of weakness that we feel. But I bet many of you have felt points of weakness where you had no answers for what you were facing. There was nothing within your control to change your situation. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you been there before? So at some point in Paul's life, he's at a total loss and he finds himself with no answers to the problem that he's facing. Before Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, he wrote a little book called 2 Corinthians, all right? And in that letter to the church at Corinth, he discloses that at some point, he's pleading with the Lord to help him. Paul says that a messenger of Satan has been given to him, a thorn in the flesh, something that was beyond his ability to control to get rid of, to manage, or to even pray away. So Paul has this problem. He's got this big problem, and his big problem has no answer. 
All right. So he does the thing that Christians are supposed to do. When you find yourself in need of help, what do you do? You cry out to the Lord. That's a good thing. All right. There are, there are different types of prayers that we pray, but sometimes you just pray for help. You don't even know any other words to pray, but you just say, Lord, help me. Lord, have mercy of me on me. Son of David, don't pass me by. I'm at a place of great weakness and I need you to come deliver me from this thing. Sometimes you don't have the eloquence to know exactly what words to use in order to get God to move on your behalf. Am I right? Sometimes all you know is the word help. Help me, Lord. This is where Paul was at. And here's how he says this in 2 Corinthians 12. This is from the Passion Translation. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to relieve me of this. But Jesus answered me, my grace is always more than enough for you. And my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weaknesses for when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. So I'm not defeated by my weakness, but I'm delighted for when I feel my weakness and I endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger for my weakness becomes a portal of God's power. So I was really encouraged when I read this this week. I, w- I actually stumbled upon this passage this week. Um, I've, been, I've been through like a season of wrestling. There's like a few grand theological issues that I've been working through that I still do not have answers for. And I've been at a loss. I've been trying to work out issues like within the social realm and life. I've been trying to work out issues in my personal life. And in all of these things, I have not had answers come to me readily and easily. So I've been pleading with the Lord, Lord, give me answers. Give me answers in this moment of weakness. And a friend of mine sent me this text with this scripture in 2 Corinthians. And it just like hit me like a ton of bricks. This is the deeper wisdom. This is the wisdom that the spirit of God is leading the church into. The deeper wisdom that the spirit of God is leading us into is not that we're going to become people with all of the answers, but that we are going to become a people who are leaning heavily into their own weakness so that we can become portals of the power of God. The challenge for us will be and always seems to be continually how we stay away from manipulating and controlling things to make us feel like they're stronger than they really are. That's why I don't really worry about a church where the worship band might not be at full strength or a preacher who might not be at his full strength or a situation like this where we're not like, we're not a hype show where everything runs perfectly. I used to feel like that was 
that was a liability for us. But now I'm realizing it is the work of the Spirit. It is the Spirit training us and teaching us the Jesus way that naturally is averse to us. But if we lean into it, it will actually be the path of life for us. So I was very encouraged this week reading this because I've, I've been pleading with the Lord to give me answers. And personally speaking, I've never felt such a lack of answers as I do right now. And we live in a world that is demanding of us that you have the right answer. The right answers. And what answer, whatever answer that you finally give, somebody else is going to be mad at the answer that you come up with. I mean, excuse my French, but it's really a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. I mean, you feel that tension. Like, like you're just afraid to say something that you might be considering because somebody's going to pounce on you, right? But it is weakness to not have the answer to every problem that comes your way. And that is okay. It is weakness to not have the solutions you need to solve the social issues of our day. It is weakness to pray for your situation to change and to not have that change come quickly. It is weakness to have to live within your current circumstance. And that weakness is a gift from the Lord to you. We're asking him to change these things. And the Lord is saying, I'm giving you this gift of weakness so that you can experience the fullness of my power perfected through your weakness. So our invitation from the Lord is to embrace all of our lack of answers, not just embrace it, but to delight in our inability to solve our own problems. Have you ever done that? Have you ever actually delighted, thrown a party over your own inability to solve your own problems? I mean, this is what Paul is saying he's doing. I'm throwing a party because I can't solve any of my problems. I'm having a better time because my problems are such that I cannot fix them. I'm better off not being able to control my circumstances than when I am under the delusion that I think I can fix myself. So this is how we practice our trust in Jesus. We delight in our own weakness. People say that all the time. Just trust God. Trust Jesus. Well, how do I do that? This is how you do it. You delight in your weakness. That is you trusting Jesus. You celebrate the weakness that you're walking around in all the time. It's crazy, right? This is crazy talk, right? What I'm saying is crazy. This should not work for you. Hopefully most of you are having a really difficult time with what I'm saying. Because this is the challenge, isn't it? How much are you actively celebrating your inability to control everything? 
I am usually practicing frustration rather than trust. I am usually wringing my hands over the state of the world and the state of my life. I am usually searching for the conventional wisdom that will make my problem go away. But Jesus is calling us to the deep wisdom of delighting in our lack of wisdom. Let me say that again. Jesus is calling us to the deeper wisdom of delighting in our lack of wisdom. Most of the time, I am not confessing that I have a lack of wisdom. Most of the time, I walk around believing I'm the smartest man alive. And everyone should listen to the conclusions that I've come to. This is the problem with the world, isn't it? We all walk around already fully Believing all of the conclusions about life that we've already come to. And then we go set ourselves within the echo chambers that we prefer. And we find out how much we already agree with ourselves. And Jesus is over here saying, as right as you feel, that's a delusion. Because When you feel right, when you feel assured in your own wisdom, you're going to miss the deeper wisdom of leaning into the wisdom that you don't have. I mean, the Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, here's what the fear of God looks like. Starting place. God, you have more wisdom than I do. That's it. That's all you say. God, you know more than me. God, you're God over this universe. I am not. I cannot suppose to be walking around smarter than all the people that I'm surrounded by. And we have to confess our lack of wisdom. And that is going to be the thing that leads us into the Jesus way. So the greater wisdom is to confess that I am unwise. The greater wisdom is to confess my total reliance on the work of the spirit. The greater wisdom is to confess that the grace of God is sufficient for me. The greater wisdom is to stop engaging in control and manipulation of other people and to trust them to the grace of God. His spirit is at work. His spirit is always at work. Walking the way Jesus walked was and is continually yielding to the invisible reality that God's spirit is actively subverting and overcoming the blindness that the world finds itself in. So the thing is, the way I've just described this, what I'm talking about, this is the most totally subversive way that you can live your life. It goes against all the conventional wisdom that screams at you that you must work to control your reality all of the time. You know, the church has gotten really good at this, actually. The church as a whole actually actively participates in teaching people how to control their reality all the time. And that's the exact opposite of what the scriptures teach us. The way of Jesus is fundamentally about grace. And grace is the most essential element for human beings. 
And grace does not grow in the dust of control. It grows in the soil of letting go. Y'all, here's the thing. People need grace. People need grace. You need grace. You might be sitting there today, think you're doing fine. You've got your life together. I don't know what this stupid preacher is talking about. My bank account is full. I've got my health. My kids are well behaved for the most part. What you're talking about, Andy, is foolishness. And I would say I agree with you. I would have to agree with you on your assessment. But this is the foolishness of the gospel of God this morning. God is inviting us into his foolishness because it's way better than our wisdom. So we need grace. I need grace. We want to be a people of grace. We want to give grace. We want to receive grace. We want grace to be our wisdom. We want to eat it. We want to drink it. We want to give it away to our family. We want to give grace to our friends. We want to give grace to our neighbors. And we want to give grace to our enemies. Amen? This is who we are. And here's the thing. Grace is not sexy. It is not sexy. You cannot have an idealistic or romantic view of what grace is. I remember one time, I have this little song that I sing. It's a sweet little song. And the chorus goes, I praise you, God, not in my strength, but my weakness. But the verses go on to describing like the dregs, the scum of the earth, you know, all the really bad people, you know. And I, it, was, it was like, we used to sing this at my church and the song went around and people liked the song. And it was really good because it, it gave people this idea that the church was just this like free for all. We're just good with everybody who comes in the door kind of thing. And I had a friend who, who kind of rebuked me about that song. He's like, you know, Andy, here's the thing you have a romantic view of grace. I was like, no, I don't. He's like, yeah, you do. He's like, you sing all those lines about the, the scum of the earth and the broken and the downcast. And he's like, but if 25 of those people came to your church on a Sunday morning, you wouldn't know what to do. Because those people are weird and they don't know how to behave in church and they don't always smell good and they cuss and they do all kinds of really bad things that you're not supposed to do in church. And that would be such an affront to your senses that that all that is is just a song to you. And I was totally challenged. I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. I have a romantic and sexy notion of grace. Because... Because the reality is grace is very, very scandalous because really undeserving people get the love of God distributed to them. So this past Monday, there's a man named Jean Vanier and he, he died. He died at the age of 90. And Jean Vanier was a French Canadian theologian, philosopher slash philanthropist. But in the 60s, he developed uh, like a network of, of homes. It was an international network of homes where, where um, severely handicapped uh, adults would live with 
other adults that weren't severely handicapped. And, and, and the situation wasn't that the well were, you know, serving the poor. It was, it was this mutually beneficial situation. His heart was that, that folks without disabilities would be served and learn as much from the folks with disabilities were learning from them. So he passed away on Monday and uh, he, he was, he was a wise and he was a good man. And I, so I read this article this week, uh, by, by a woman, she was a religion reporter, but she was friends with Jean Vanier for 13 years. And after his passing, she told the story of her first time hearing Jean Vanier. And she says, this is how she puts it. Vanier broke my heart so that it could be healed. And I get this sense. So when I was reading this article, I, I had this sense this week that the reason why the Lord's not answering so many of our prayers the way we want them to be answered is he's trying to break our hearts so that he can heal us and he can form us into his image because we, we so much refuse to be formed into his image because we're so invested in outward strength. But she, she says in her article, Vanier broke my heart and healed it. And here's how she puts it. About 10 minutes into Vanier's address, he began to tell the story of a serial killer, a man imprisoned for murdering five women. She says, I leaned in, wondering where he was going with this unexpected narrative. Vanier says, he needs someone who will see that behind all those walls that have been created, there's a little child who has never been awakened. Vanier, a towering man with a slight stoop that made it seem as if he were bowing to everyone he met, said with characteristic quiet gentleness, will one day he find somebody who will reveal to him his beauty, that he is a child of God, that he is precious. The idea that a serial killer, despite the sins and horrors he has perpetrated, remains precious to God and should, Vanier seemed to suggest, also be precious to us, touched me in such a profound way, I scarcely have appropriate words to describe it all these years later. It was this as if Vanier's radical compassion broke something in my soul that needed to be broken. It widens the aperture of my heart, making room to accommodate a love more expansive than I thought myself capable of feeling or giving. And Vanier continued, the quest is not just believing in God, but believing in people. Believing in ourselves as children of God and that we are called to see other people as God sees them, not as we would like them to be. So many times we engage with other people and we hold an ideal up to that person of what they're supposed to be like. We have a vision for strength and God has a vision for weakness. 
So I would like to suggest to you that Vanier's great idea, his great act was just the simple act of a man of great weakness leaning into grace. He learned to delight and celebrate being a man of weakness. He wasn't a great man according to the ways of the world. He wasn't a celebrity. He wasn't a motivational speaker. He wasn't a business guru. He was simply a man who followed the steps of Jesus and gave grace to everyone he met, deserving and undeserving alike. That's, that's the real challenge for us, isn't it? It's, it's to give the grace of God away to the undeserving. We got the deserving part down, don't we? We've got the, the, the part where folks are following the rules that we, we have embedded in our minds. Those people get all the grace they need. But the folks that are outside of that realm, man, it's so much harder, isn't it? That's the greatest challenge for us. But if we are to take the Apostle Paul seriously in 2 Corinthians 12, if the fullness of God's power finds expression through our weakness, how are we to actively walk in weakness? So in the final chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul instructs the church. This is funny. He changes his language. He says this. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So how do we access this power? We access his power through our weakness. Through our inability and through our yielding to what is before us. So most of you know the passage in Ephesians 6. It's a famous passage. It's the armor of God passage, right? Everybody knows the armor of God passage. Put your hand up if you're tired about hearing about the armor of God. It's okay. Be honest. It's like, I mean, I was afraid to preach this because I knew as soon as I said armor of God, everybody was going to check out. Like, right? You've all checked out already, right? So, so the, it's the Sunday school version. It's ruined the armor of God for most of us. But looking at this passage through the filter of weakness and grace, it makes it take on a whole new meaning. And I'm just going to give you a few points here, and then we're going to close out, all right? So bear with me for just a while longer, okay? So he talks about, in Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul he talks about girding up your, your waist with truth. And, and I'd just like to say to you, here's the truth that you're going to gird yourself up with. The truth that his power finds its full expression in your weakness. That's the truth. That's the truth that you're girding yourself up with. And the breastplate of righteousness. I love this. My righteousness, the righteousness that I have, it is his righteousness. As, he, here's another way to say it. This is a better way of saying it. This is crazy. This will blow your mind if you think about it too long. As righteous as Jesus is, 
is as righteous as you are. As righteous as Jesus is, is as righteous as you are right now. You know, the the fact is, if you're going to carry around that truthful reality, it's going to take a whole lot of humility and weakness on your part. It will take meekness. It will take gentle strength for you to realize that as righteous as Jesus is, is as righteous as you are. I am in right standing with God because of his great grace toward me. And I receive his grace for myself and I give it freely to everyone else. All right. Shod your feet with the gospel of peace. Peace is what we are carrying. Peace is what we are dispensing. I love this because... A lot of my imaginations, the thing that I imagine is that I got to be, I don't know, this might just be me, but I feel like I got to walk around just just having snappy answers for everybody and I've got to be articulate and I've got to have everything figured out in order for me to be a Christian, but it's not true. In order for me to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, I am literally just walking around in my own ineptitude, dispensing peace. I can carry peace and give away peace everywhere that I go. And I don't have to have any snappy answers. I love this because this includes every single person in here. You may have a seminary seminary degree. You may not. You may have never read the Bible before. I don't know. You can still walk around dispensing peace to everybody. The shield of faith. Here's, Here's our faith, okay? Our faith is the always yielding, always trusting surrender that his grace is actually and always sufficient for us. No matter what we see happening, the long, slow work of the spirit is one of grace. All right. On to the helmet of salvation. Okay. So I always thought about the helmet of salvation as being kind of dumb because the helmet works good if the sword comes down on top of your head. But man, a sword to the neck, that helmet's no good at all. Right. But. Even if your head is cut off, grace is enough for you. (laughs) Remember that. If you take away nothing else from today, even if your head is cut off, grace is sufficient for you. That is your salvation. All right. And finally, and I'm going to close this out. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And what is the word of God for us today? It is 2 Corinthians 12, 2. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to relieve me of this, but he answered me, my grace is always more than enough for you. And my power finds its full expression when you are weak. So I will celebrate my weaknesses for when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. 
I'm not defeated by my weakness, but I'm delighted. For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger. For my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. Selah. That is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Let me just pray over you and then I'll have Robin come up. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for our bodies in their weakness. We thank you for our minds. We thank you for our hearts. Lord, we thank you that we are created vessels to be walking around full of your power. As we yield ourselves to the Jesus way, as we yield ourselves delighting in our weakness so that the power of God can be made manifest everywhere we go. God, we thank you for the way that you have set this up. We thank you for your gift of grace in our life. I pray, Father, that we would become radically grace-filled people, that we would dispense grace to everybody, that we would dispense grace to ourselves even. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all this. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. I remembered, as Andy was speaking, I remembered various episodes over the last number of years where um, I would experience what Andy was talking about. And um, I haven't talked a whole lot about this, but my wife and I uh, and our children, to a certain degree, lived in, uh, as they were coming along, we were having kids. Right after Don and I got married, we moved into this Christian community. And it wasn't a subdivision. It was like you're really dedicated to the whole idea of living together and sharing things. And it wasn't quite a commune, but you could see it from where we were. And... um, I realized that in hindsight, first of all, I thought this is going to be heaven on earth. It's going to be awesome. All these people we really like. But the problem with that kind of commitment is it's God's recipe to introduce you to yourself. The part of yourself you don't know you have maybe. And so... Honestly, I got to feel like, God, some of these people are the stupidest people in the world. I mean, they're just foolish. Well, at that point, I used to play the tambourine during worship, and uh, I had on a pair of overalls, and I was playing this tambourine. And <laughs> my pastor told me this later. This woman said to, to, it was Harry Bazell, my pastor, and said, Harry, I so appreciate the fact that you let these special needs people uh, participate in the worship. <laughs> and I, I began to get the message. <laughs> Maybe I was more like these <laughs> other people than I recognized. <laughs> And so, the, you know, the more we lived there and uh, the harder things sort of got. And I, uh, I just hated this guy that was there. <laughs> I thought, I'd, 
Oh, but you can't hate people. No, no. I must not really hate him if I'm a Christian. So but I just hated this guy. And <laughs> I was trying hard not to hate him. And I was trying to be a Christian, which is the worst thing you could ever do to yourself. And finally, I just gave up. I said, damn, I just hate this guy. <laughs> Pardon my French. Andy and I are speaking French this morning. And it was that at that point, in other words, I had finally faced my weakness in that area head on. And I'd finally just admitted. And that's when the love came in. That's when everything started changing. And I was so confused because I didn't think it worked that way. And that's only one episode of that. I can remember I worked 12 years at this one company and um, I was getting this revelation that God resists the proud. Say that with me. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So I thought, well, I'm just going to be humble. Because God resists the proud. And I kept, I thought it was the devil. I think it turned out to be the Lord. But I thought the devil was saying, you're so proud, it's ridiculous. And I was going, no, no, no. God resists proud. But it was just beating me up. You ever had a thought come at you you can't get rid of? Well, that was mine there for a while. And then the Lord said to me, Oh, if, if you're not proud, why do you criticize everybody you run into? And I went, oh. But see, here's the tricky part. It's not just that we're supposed to be weak all the time. It's that we have to face that place for the power to flow. For the power to flow. But here's the difficulty. When you go through a process and you realize how weak you are and God meets you, the natural tendency is to begin to assume, hey, I'm not so bad after all. Until the next crisis. Because it's God's plan to bring us into that place where we really do glorify him. And that's Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And that's the idea. If we can get that straight, many of our problems dissolve because we're no longer comparing ourselves with everyone else and finding everyone else falling short because that is a recipe for disaster. Because sometimes the resistance of God, you will discover things about yourself you wish you never knew. When you don't have to, because we all need God. So great message. And does that make sense? Is that helping? I hope it is. Yeah. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.